0: chapter 1, we finish the prologue, the introductory material, the setting of Jesus in his context. If you think about Matthew, Mark, and Luke, Mark doesn't do anything. He has Jesus appear out of nowhere, and he gets baptized by John in the River Jordan. Matthew gives us a genealogical background for Jesus traced through Joseph, Uh, gives us an annunciation unto Joseph that Jesus is going to be born. Luke gives us a genealogical tree linked up probably to Mary and gives us Mary's perspective with an annunciation unto her about the birth of Jesus and the whole bit about going off and going down to Bethlehem for Jesus to be born. We've got wise guys in Matthew and shepherds in Luke. We've got all of this stuff placing Jesus in his setting in Judea during being born uh, during the very end of the reign of Herod the Great. So we have Jesus being placed in his setting and the genealogy linking him in to the Jewish people and their heritage and the genealogy linking him in to David, King David in the kingly line and hence identifying his right to be Messiah And a special type of birth, a a virgin birth in Matthew and Luke is proclaimed, whereby God has worked a miracle to make clear that this child is a special holy child, that this child is is God's representative, that this child is somehow the son of God, that, that this child is special and anointed. We have all of this from Matthew and Luke. John does something completely different. John starts theologically and sets Jesus within the context of all creation, as we saw in John chapter 1 in parallel with genesis chapter one there's an amazing parallelism between the two where jesus is articulated as being the word that was spoken by yahweh in the creation of the universe and that word is the creative agency and we see in genesis repeatedly everything that is created is created by god speaking and it comes into being a very high philosophical understanding of the creation process in, in John, we have Jesus being that creative agency as the word of God, who is God, and who, as it says in verse 14, the word becomes flesh and dwells among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory as of a father's only son filled with grace and truth. We have we have this Jesus coming to, this, this word of God coming to live with us as Jesus of Nazareth. It's, it's definitely what is known as a high Christology or a Christology from above. And a little bit of theological background might be helpful here. When you're studying theology, the sub-branch of theology that deals with Jesus and Jesus' nature is Christology words about Christ, literally, Christology, words about Christ. And you have two kinds of Christologies in the New Testament. You have Christologies from below and Christologies from above. And Mark is representative of a Christology from below. Which could be and was used by various Christians in the early period as a a, a proof that Jesus was adopted. The kind of Christology they're talking about is adoptionism. Adoptionism or adoptionistic Christology. Where Jesus is a human being who is adopted by God. In Mark, this is my beloved son. In him I am well pleased. It's sort of like his adoption. Uh, Arian Christianity evolved from adoptionistic Christianity. Arianism identified Jesus as either a human adopted by God to become God's son, elevated to divinity, or In a form of angel Christology, an angel who becomes a human who then gets elevated to being God. Angel Christologies, which are a form of Arianism, are known today as Jehovah's Witnesses. this Witnesses understand Jesus to have been Michael, the archangel, who becomes incarnate in human flesh, who then gets adopted by God as the Son of God and elevated to divinity. So, in other words, Michael gets an upgrade or a promotion. Huh? I didn't. Know
1: they that. never told us that when they yeah. came in yeah. the no, house. No, no, they don't tell you that until a lot later.
0: The they don't no tell wonder you that until a lot later. React like we did but Aryan right? Christianity which was very popular in the second and early third centuries um, had an angelistic Christological background to it as well as an adoptionist, as well as an adoptionistic one. They wanted to give Jesus something better than just a human pedigree so they gave him an angel's pedigree. They could do this so long as Mark was a fairly localized gospel and the one that they preferred. Once all four Gospels started to be used more broadly, it became more difficult to support an adoptionistic Christology. Why? Because the other three Gospels tend to have a a Christology from above. You have um, Matthew, and you have Luke, and you have John. Now, Matthew and Luke are based in large part upon Mark's chronology and basic content and outline, but there's a more developed, articulated, developed Christology of of Jesus' background, which is a Christology from above. Matthew less so. In fact, you can kind of grade it this way. Matthew gives Jesus an identity as being God who becomes incarnate, and becomes a man and then at his resurrection becomes god again whereas luke says that jesus is god who becomes incarnate but doesn't stop being god in a weird way that we can't comprehend and then at his resurrection is re-elevated back up to divinity in that sense there is a close relationship between Luke and Paul, and Paul's Christology.
2: But then even more so than Luke is John. So Paul makes it, makes it God, then man, then God? No, no Paul
0: identifies Jesus on earth as also still Lord. But he's not as clear about it, neither is Luke. There's a fuzziness. How can Jesus be both human and God on earth and couldn't deal with it very well? So, and that's partially because Luke was using all of the material that came out of Mark and all the material that came out of Q, the common source between Matthew and Luke, and reflected a, this 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 growth in Christological thought that you find in Pauline theology, where Jesus is given a pre-existent identity. Uh, who we see that in Philippians, by the way, where Jesus is identified as being in the form of God, did not count equality of God with God as something to be grasped, but emptied himself himself and, and becomes a human being into the form of a slave, into the form of a servant. The Philippian Christ hymn, which predates Paul, by the way, reflects Paul's theology in, in terms of Christology on the preexistence of Jesus. And it's a very much a high Christology which tries to deal with this idea of Jesus being both human and divine at the same time and never really kind of resolves it. Never really resolves it. At one time he'll say Jesus is human, just a man, just like us, and at other times he'll say he's God.
3: How does Paul say that Jesus was God? Or does yeah, he, say he was, says he. Was Jesus. He side.
0: identifies Jesus as being Lord and as having the authority of God on earth.
3: That's not the same. And you find that That's in Philippians as well. well well, Jesus was the Word and the Word was God. I mean, that's yeah. pretty... Jesus was the Word and the Word was right. God. <laughs> and then take a
0: look at Philippians. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God as something to be grasped or clung to, but instead emptied himself. And that right word right there, emptied, gives theologians trouble forever. And it's, the question is, does he empty himself of being God Or does he empty himself into a human being? What's he empty himself? What's the emptying going on? And in Philippians, there really is no solid answer. Most theologians today say that Jesus emptied himself into a human being. God empties himself into flesh and becomes a human. That's implicit in a lot of things that Paul says, especially in Philippians, and especially in Colossians, which is the highest Christology in Pauline literature. Now, the problem is is that the wording in Philippians is so ambiguous that you could read it instead. He emptied himself of being God, which is how some people interpret it, which is more Matthian in thinking. And... Whereas the other way around is more Lucan in thinking. And there are closer connections between Luke and Paul. But the greatest connections of all in Christology are between Paul and John. Between Paul and John. Where Jesus is God, the Word of God, and is God, who then becomes flesh and dwells among us. It's a little sharper in John. A little, in Paul, it's, um, it's kind of like a, a, a curve down into humanity and then a curve up into divinity. That's Paul. Whereas in John, it's, it's straight down into humanity and then straight up in, in, into God, but still, while at the same time, still being God. The terminology used in Johannine Christology and by theologians is the God slash man idea. Where, or the, the theoanthropic God human conception. It's the highest Christology in the New Testament. It's the above Christology that is, there is no above it. There is no above it in the New Testament. Luke, it's close. Paul gets a little closer, but John is
3: as high as it gets. Luke so, is an, an adoptionist Christology from curve, below. I'm sorry, what? why not? The, the curve versus the whatever the other. Sharp. Sharp distinction. You're saying that while he was here, he was not God.
0: Well, I mean, you see, not John. John would say that while he was here, he was still God. Sure. I thought what I was he was
3: more like a straight line. I mean, just, <laughs> But what
0: happens God. in his incarnation? Is the question he becomes God and human at the same time on earth God intruding into and dwelling with us uh, and the word became flesh and lived dwelled among us that idea would be for this thing here is the intrusion of God physically into time and space
2: if he hadn't taken on enough of the human characteristic he wouldn't have been able to go through what he went through as far as the pain on the cross and those kind of things which he did feel every bit of that.
0: The question is is, what is Jesus? This is what the prologue is addressing. This is is what the beginning of Luke and the beginning of Matthew addressed and what Mark ignored. What is Jesus? Mark was probably pretty smart in one
1: day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, he avoided point. the question. He, yeah. he it dealt with the medicine. ministry
0: of Jesus that was visible, mm-hmm. that could be seen and experienced by people. Whereas Matthew deals with all of this genealogy and this annunciation unto Joseph, and Luke deals with the genealogy and the annunciation unto Mary and the, the miraculous birth and all that stuff that went with it and the theology that it reflects, which is the important thing. Both Matthew and Luke say the same thing in that they say Jesus pre-existed. In that, they agree with Paul, which is not surprising considering Paul was written, Paul lived before Matthew and Luke wrote, so and wrote before they wrote. So that's not a surprise what's what's interesting is the way in which Matthew being more Jewish seems to want to say that this son of God who becomes incarnate in human flesh is now on earth very much a human as much human as you and me Luke says something similar but also says he's also kind of God as much God as God is and Paul says the same thing more or less with different language John says it even more so almost to the other extreme which is why the Gnostics who did not like the concept of humanity in Jesus preferred John's Gospel because in John you have the highest divinity articulated to the point that you sometimes miss the humanity that being said we see Jesus depicted in a very human way many times in John's Gospel we will see it many times. Wait a minute, say that again because I lost the logic. Okay. Somewhere. It is, it is, is not this? the logic. It is the contradiction. Okay, okay John, that's I got. I got that. John, <laughs> at the same time, articulates the highest Christology, sees Jesus as being divine and human, but weights it heavily in the divine end, and at the same time will depict Jesus as being really, really, really human. For example, Jesus wept. The shortest verse in the New Testament is <laughs> in John. So, I mean, there are examples of that where Jesus is depicted very human terms you know, one, in John's gospel.
1: One phrase I've heard that kind of makes sense, Jesus was God and man. You know, we can't tell where God ended and man began and vice versa there. And, you know, like we were saying earlier, if Jesus was not fully human, his sufferings you know, would not be meaningful for us mm-hmm. as humans here, but if he were not God, then you know, the resurrection doesn't make that much sense. It doesn't that get to be, us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. right. That's kind of the concept. And it's one of these things It's kind of a
2: mystery of faith, you know, it's
0: something you, we're really not really going to understand. Thank
1: you. Logically, you're
0: exactly right. It is a mystery of faith. It is not amenable in the end to logic. One another way to illustrate it is John says Jesus is God slash man. Paul and Luke would say Jesus is man slash God. And that's, that, that difference is so subtle it almost doesn't exist. It almost doesn't exist.
2: Well, you'd have to decide which came first.
0: Well, what comes first is God in both cases. There's no question about that. He, yeah. Jesus is God, period, end of, end of line. There's no question about that. But um, in, in, in Pauline in, in, theology, the is, in Johannine theology, and in Lucan theology, for sure.
2: But if he was adopted by God...
0: As in Markan God. theology, right. which is a theology of, of silence, by the way. It's how people have read Mark, not necessarily what Mark said. Luke is much more clear about that. And then John is abundantly clear about that. And Paul, frankly, is too. But the question is how much of Jesus remains to God when he becomes man that, uh, that the debates on Paul rage on. And there is no solution even today. And those debates have been going on for nearly 2,000 years. The orthodox position is, is that Paul does not stipulate any loss of divinity. And you can read Paul that way. But you could also read Paul the other way, that there's a slight degradation of divinity when Jesus becomes human. And it, that is usually articulated in the form of a limitation, a self-limitation. In order to live on earth and interact with human beings, Jesus had to limit his nature as God. Otherwise, he'd blow us away constantly. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's, that's another. You know, Paul tends to be more practical and functional. John is not, John is philosophical. For him, the word not only was with God, the word was God and then becomes flesh and dwells among us. And that's as sharp as you can get, as direct as you can get, and does not say there was any form of degradation in that being God. Instead, it's God moving into the stuff of human time and space. It's some people talk about the Christology in John as intrusional Christology, where God intrudes into, Mm -hmm. from eternity, into time, into space, becomes one of us to experience life here, to experience the joys, the pains, and the suffering, and then to die. And therefore, because of that intrusion, we then can intrude into eternity And experience the glories of being in heaven forever because of what Jesus did by defeating death as God and as man. Well, as we read through John, this stuff is going to be leaping off the page at us constantly. When I talked about John as being interpretive, far more, I mean, Luke and Matthew were heavily interpretive. They don't have a patch on John in terms of interpreting. The interpretation here reigns, and we'll see it immediately in John the Baptist. You ready? Enough of a prologue. (laughs) (laughs) Verse um, 19. This is the testimony given by John. That's John the Baptist. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? He confessed and did not deny it but confessed, I am not the Messiah. And they asked him, What then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, No. Then they said to him, Who are you? Let us have an answer for those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? And he said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Quoting Isaiah 40, verse 3. Quoting Isaiah 40, verse 3. Hmm. So here he is. He's out in the wilderness. He's been preaching. He's been doing his thing. And the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, find out what the heck is he doing? Who are you? Why do you think you have the ability to do whatever it is you're doing? And his and they ask, and his response is, "I'm not the Messiah," which is interesting because they didn't ask him. It doesn't say here that they asked him, "Are you the Messiah?" His response is, "I am not the Messiah," which they says, "Okay, well then, what then? Are you the, Are you Elijah?" And he answered, "I am not," which is in direct contradiction to what Matthew said, which is, "Yeah." Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. Then they said to him, who are you? Let us have an answer for those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? And his answer actually betrays the fact that while he wasn't willing to identify himself as Elijah, that's his job because, it, because the response is, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord. Quoting Isaiah chapter yeah, 40. Now... Thus far, this seems to equate with what we saw to some degree in Mark and in Matthew and in Luke. There's a definite correlation. We, we, we saw this event. We saw this encounter in the synoptics, didn't we? Kinda. Let's keep going. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees. They asked him, why then are you baptizing? If you are neither the Messiah nor Elijah nor the prophet that's a fascinating question Uh, uh, there's nowhere in messianic expectation of the Jews that the Messiah would be a baptizer now there were lots of groups in Judaism that baptized the Essenes being principally important but there were others that did but there's nothing that says that the Messiah is going to be a baptizer. You have the, the military general uh, Messiah who's going to overthrow the Romans and set up the kingdom of David again. You've got the kingly Messiah who's going to head up that kingdom and establish the kingdom of David across the world. And you've got the religious Messiah who's going to reestablish right worship of Yahweh and overthrow those nasty, awful, rotten priests and Sadducees and Pharisees in Jerusalem who've been cavorting with the Roman imperialist powers, but uh, you don't have a Messiah who baptizes in Jewish messianic expectation. Yet, that seems to be the question they wanted to know. By what authority are you baptizing if you're not Messiah, Elijah, or prophet? And his answer... It's fascinating. He doesn't answer them. He just says what he's doing. I baptize you with water. Excuse me. I baptize with water. Among you stands one whom you do not know. The one who is coming after me. I am not worthy to untie the thong of his sandal. This took place in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. Stop right there. So he doesn't really answer the question. He kind of, you know, just an annoying preacher, just like all preachers. Refusing to answer the question, give a straight answer. Slippier, slip, slippery even when not wet. I mean, come on. And I'm sure he was wet, given that he was a baptizer. Hmm. Notice verse 28. This took place in Bethany, across the Jordan, or beyond the Jordan, probably is a better translation, where John was baptizing.
2: My Bible has beyond.
0: Beyond. Does anybody have a different translation than Bethany? King James has a completely different um, site, a different name than Bethany. It has Bethar, Bethabara. There's a reason for the problem. Origin went to Jordan and visited Israel in the, uh, the year 200, roughly. And Origen, who was a church father, could not find Bethany on the Jordan or beyond the Jordan. There is Bethany near Jerusalem. Just, just a short walk down the hill from Jerusalem is, is Bethany. But beyond the Jordan, Bethany isn't on the Jordan River. It's not beyond the Jordan River. It's nowhere close to the Jordan River. How could this be right? This took place in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing, or probably better translated, this took place in Bethany beyond the Jordan where John was baptizing. Now, some people have speculated that... Hmm. Bethany beyond the Jordan is a town that no longer exists. We don't know where it is. That was on the other side of the Jordan River and was called Bethany beyond the Jordan. Now, before we laugh at that and poo-poo it, in the last 60 or so years, archaeology has turned up several sites that are talked about in John's Gospel that were never known before, other than from John's Gospel, that were never known. And John's Gospel not only gets it right that the site existed, it gets where the site was right, according to Raymond E. Brown.
2: What city does King Jimmy? Bethabara.
1: Bethabara, oh,
2: okay.
1: Bethabara, on the Jordan. What's the deal on this Gadara thing? This looks like it's close to Bethany. Mm-hmm. Gadara, you know, they've got Bethany beyond, and they got Gadara, right up from it there? Where? Where it's supposed to be on the other side of the Jordan. (laughs) (laughs) You'd expect it somewhere else? Bethany beyond the Jordan and Gadara. See, that's speculation as to
0: where Bethany beyond the Jordan is supposed to be located. It makes greater sense for Bethany beyond the Jordan to be up there near the Sea of Galilee instead of down here near Bethany in Jerusalem. But there is no place called Bethany beyond the Jordan
2: there. i got a question mark by my guitar.
0: There is no place there. There is nothing. In your mouth.
1: What's this? Oh, by Gadara? Yeah,
2: there is well, no. They must have known that is
0: a, guitar, so why that is a speculation there? as to where that is located, but there is. That is where it ought to be, because that's the traditional baptism site.
2: Oh, I've got two different Gadaras, and it's got a question mark. Oh, really? Oh, okay. So it's either here or here. Oh, I have two Gadaras too, but no question mark. Oh, I got a question mark. That must have been
1: about Jimmy's
3: time.
0: Okay, the reason why the King James has it differently is because Origen, since he discovered that there was no Bethany beyond the Jordan to be found anywhere in Israel, changed it in his copies to Bethabara. And then that kind of hung on in many copies but all of the majority of copies from the early period of the New Testament including the earliest copies that we've got all say Bethany beyond the Jordan or Bethany across or the other side of Jordan
3: That's closer to Jericho Yeah. I mean apart from <laughs> this geography stuff what, what do we think John was trying to say with this assuming that most of this is interpretive mm-hmm. and so forth there seems to be a point with all this detailed dialogue which well nobody was around to report it's
0: the investigation of John to begin with the investigation of John the Baptist which we have in the synoptics we also have being articulated in John it's among those anecdotes that we see both in the synoptics and now also in John but it's going to be used differently the questioning is slightly different His denial is different. What happens next is very different and much more interpretive. This is setting the stage for what comes next in answer to your question. As for geography, we don't know. Some scholars say that there was a Bethany beyond the Jordan. I think that's probably correct. We just don't know where it was. That's speculation in your map. It's interesting that they put it there. It's not in mine. But uh, there's speculation as to where it's located. Uh, We do not know. But it may very well have existed because other sites that had been lost have been found quite frankly exactly where John said they should be. So that's an interesting little piece of, of knowledge. So it'd be a little bit hesitant to say there was no Bethany beyond the Jordan. But by 200 AD it had ceased to exist because Origen couldn't find it anywhere and nobody he talked to knew where it was. All right. But what they did on your map was placed it close to the historic baptismal site which is at the Base of the south end of the Sea of Galilee, where the Jordan River narrows. This right.
2: one has it just north of the Dead Sea.
0: And that one just has it north of the Dead Sea. Close yeah. to Jericho. And it's
2: really on the Jordan. It's just right.
0: There. It's the town that flops around. No, no, no. <laughs> it's a living.
2: It's just barely beyond.
1: It's the town that kind of moves. <laughs> Perfect example of revisionist history, right there. We'll just put it where we need it. But where's Waldo?
0: We're going to stop right here because I have a question for you. And I'll tell you right now, it doesn't come later. Does he baptize Jesus here? Is there a baptism here? It doesn't say that he baptizes him. He
2: just sees him coming toward
0: him. He sees Jesus walking along. And he says, there's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And then he talks about what he saw. I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. But it doesn't say, doesn't describe a baptismal act like in Matthew or Mark. It doesn't even say after the baptism like it says in Luke. Here, the baptism's missing.
2: It doesn't even say they spoke to each other at the time.
0: No, hello. There's not even that. Hey, cuz, how you doing? Remember, Luke tells us that John the Baptist and Jesus are cousins. Well, doesn't he sorry. also
2: say that when Mary visits Elizabeth, that the uh, John the baby the mm. baby yeah. moves, he, made and oh, yeah. if he recognizes
0: <laughs> in vitro recognition? <laughs> you would think that it would be here too, but in the way John is telling the story. Unlike Luke, unlike Mark, unlike Matthew, especially unlike Matthew and Mark, you don't have a baptism.
1: And you think it'd be exactly opposite. You mm-hmm. think if you would ever hear about baptism, why would you hear? What John the Baptist?
0: Well, but well, but John the Baptist is the one telling the story in Matthew and in Luke, but John is not written by John the Baptist. Right. It's by the other
1: of a disciple. Exactly, he didn't like
3: him. This puts John away. John has got nothing to do with making Jesus who he is. Right. You know, the, he's a recognizer, Se- in that That's right. Separation. he, he, he gets, gets separated you know, but he's got nothing to do with that. You know. One apparently, of the, even in this, what is this? 60 years later, maybe the uh, some of this. In about 90 story, AD. The uh, they're still having to deal with John the Baptist.
0: The John the Baptist community got assimilated into the Christian community early on. We see echoes of that in the Acts of the Apostles where there were some people who were preaching about Jesus, but they only received the baptism of John the Baptist. They hadn't received the baptism of Jesus, and Paul has to go and baptize them. So, I mean, you've got examples of that elsewhere in the New Testament. The the John the Baptist community was a problem for the early Christian community because to and we see it echoed in matthew where jesus said comes to be baptized and john the baptist says no 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 I, you ought to be baptizing me not not me you no 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 this is to fulfill all righteousness and he lets john the baptist baptize or remakes him baptizing literally forces him to uh baptizing uh John, by by the 90s AD, they decided to avoid the whole question altogether. Get rid of the embarrassment of have Jesus's ministry begin with a, a baptism by a rival prophet, so to speak. By by uh,
2: just not even telling the story at all. Well, doesn't he when he refers in here to the dove coming down and seeing him, which refers to something happened in the present. That of God. event
0: As is you, it, event. it comes it, it yeah. is seen and comes from. The baptismal event in Mark and yes. Matthew and Luke, but it's removed from the context of the baptism itself. There's no baptism spoken about. Instead, he simply says, I saw, and he speaks in the past tense, I saw the spirit descending from heaven like a dove and it remained on him. I myself did not know him. That's interesting.
2: He's just he recognized recognized. You recognize him in
0: vitro, but you don't recognize him <laughs> as an adult. Um, but but the like one God. who sent me—well, I guess the beard made him look really different. Yeah, <laughs> but the one who sent me to baptize with water said to me, in other words, God says to him, "He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain is the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit." So it's while Mark and Matthew especially put the the dove bit in the context of of the baptism. John has removed it from that context and had it simply Jesus walking on the side of the road. John the Baptist points to him and says, here comes the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. I I know it because I saw in a vision a, a, a dove sitting on him. And I heard God tell me, this is the one who will baptize in the Holy Spirit. It has totally removed the baptism. Con- the site is the right one. The person who does baptisms is the right one. But there's no, you know, there's, there's no baptism of Jesus himself. And that is to essentially take the event one step away from the embarrassment. This is the theologizing going on and that revisioning going on from the embarrassment of Jesus' ministry starting with a baptism. But you said
1: that yes, in this context, so that they, the people baptized by John, had to get baptized again, which sounds a whole lot like a few churches that exist. Mm. And if you don't get baptized <laughs> by them, well, you're not really baptized.
0: Because of the, yeah, exactly. And that sounds like yeah. it? it sounds okay. exactly like that.
1: Except now we're the ones doing it. The Christians. Well, we don't do that. We don't. Make no, we do don't baptized. do that. <laughs> we don't count the baptism that supposedly came from God. We did flip it did, did John the Baptist when he was baptizing people the way he reads the Bible well does it not indicate that, that was coming from God that was coming from God but it was a baptism so we're of, not gonna count. it was a baptism
0: of individual repentance um, and it was a baptism in water and what is said about Jesus's baptism is that it is a baptism in the Holy Spirit which is different than a baptism in water. Now, the church continued to baptize with water. It took the Holy Spirit baptism and the Johannine water baptism and married them together in one event. So that any time the church does a baptism, it's baptism in water and the spirit. It's both. You don't have just a baptism in water and then a later baptism in spirit. You've got it all at once. I baptize thee in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's an event which includes both at one time and what they were saying in the Acts of the Apostles was you knew that baptism of John in water for repentance to prepare for the coming of the Messiah but you never received baptism into the Messiah himself which we are now doing at the same time so we need to finish you
1: that must have been really easy to explain if we're not having any they hated it
0: John the Baptist followers who had not been already a part of the community hated it, I bet they did. but their community was assumed or assimilated, like the Borg, into the, into the early church very early on, before the gospels were written. They had pretty much been assimilated. There were some John the Baptist movements that hung on for several decades more, but even they eventually got assimilated into some version of the church. There is no baptism here in John's gospel. Of Jesus however it is from John the Baptist that Jesus steals his first couple of disciples which is not unfamiliar to us by the way the next day John again was standing with two of his disciples it's almost as if they didn't hear him and he and, and as he watched Jesus walk by Jesus is trolling for disciples. As he watched <laughs> Jesus walk <laughs> by, Absolutely. he exclaimed, look, here is the Lamb of God again. <laughs> yeah.
2: In <case>
0: you miss- <laughs> he must no, have gotten no. tired doing this. <laughs> Maybe
2: those guys weren't there
0: the day before. Maybe they weren't. Yeah. I don't know, that but it's a little word, bit weird. Evidence. It's like a rerun almost. It's a little strange. Jesus, the two Jesus. disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. In other words, here John is depicted not as any kind of a rival, but as the one who, okay, I'm giving up now. You are supposed to go follow Jesus. That's your job now. You leave me and go follow him. When Jesus turned and saw them following, he said to them, what are you looking for? They said to him, Rabbi, and this is interesting, Rabbi, which translated means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come and see. They came and saw where he was staying, and they returned with him that and they remained with him that day. It was about four o'clock in the afternoon. One of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which is translated anointed. He brought Simon to Jesus, who looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. You are to be called Cephas, which is translated Peter. From the word for rock in Aramaic, Kepha is rock in Aramaic, rocky is essentially his okay.
1: name. So, from the very beginning, he, he's thinking this is going to be the Pope. Jesus is anointing the Pope here. From the very beginning, from the first time he meets him? Well, that's interesting.
0: No, well, yes and no. I mean, rock, it, You are the rock. I'm going to you are Rocky.
1: Yeah, and I'm building my church on well, you. Well, he doesn't say that. No, he doesn't say that. He just doesn't. says, I'm going to call you Rocky.
2: <laughs> but if anybody would know who, who it's going
3: to be, it'd be Jesus. Well, yeah.
0: Now, remember from Matthew and Luke and Mark, they're out fishing, and Jesus comes walking along. Follow me, and I'll make you fishers of people. And they leave their nets and follow Jesus. Here it's a little different. Mm -hmm. Here we've got Andrew, who's following a guru already, John the Baptist, who it's like he's been trying John the Baptist out to find out if he's the Messiah. And now John the Baptist appointed him at Jesus, who is, and so now he's going to go get his brother. All right, we found the Messiah. We finally, we finally found him. <laughs> it's almost funny. I mean, oh, yeah. <laughs> we found it's the Messiah. Come, and Peter comes, and, and Simon comes and gets identified. You are Simon, son of John. <laughs> That's interesting. How did John? It doesn't say that, you know, that Andrew says, here's my brother, Simon. No, mm-hmm. you are Simon, son of John. I mean, come on, a little bit of that divinity in here, Jesus knows. You are Simon, son of John. You are to be called Cephas, which is translated
3: Peter. I mean, by this time, Peter is gone, right? He's dead. Oh, oh, by the time that
0: John is being written? Oh, yeah, Uh, Peter died in 64. Uh huh, in Rome. 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 Uh huh.
3: So, I mean, this is, this is reading back into oh, yeah. Peter's leadership role is, in the church. Yeah, this is exactly remembering what I'm saying, that's
0: back. It's a little suspicious. It's in, well, it's interesting, though. The nickname, Kepha, the fact that they called him that, that his name was Simon in Hebrew, and that they called him Kepha, Rock. We see that in Paul, who was writing in the 50s when Peter was still alive. So that's an echo of historicity that's fascinating that also somewhat equates with what we see in the, the, the other Gospels, the synoptics, except that the, it's like the, the nickname kind of accrued to him later over time
1: instead of at the very beginning. So the person who wrote this part of John might have also read Paul, do you think? Paul's well, letters?
0: Well, I think that the, it was simply known. I mean, look, he was the most in, he was among the most important of the disciples. There is no question about that. That cannot be denied. Paul attests to it so very clearly. It, he is the root behind Mark, almost certainly, and therefore he's behind the synoptics. And his, his role in them is clear, straightforward. He, he was very important to Lucan community when you read the Acts of the Apostles. It's obvious that Peter is, is very important. So you can't, you can't deny that. That's, his, that's a piece of history. And you see it still being echoed around in the 90s in, in the Jehanine Christian community in Ephesus, Asia Minor area, where you have Peter being recognized as being extremely important and that essentially he is the second disciple. interesting connections and similarities to the synoptics, but also amazing differences.
1: Amazing differences.
0: A desire to separate, to, 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 to protect Jesus from too close of an association with John the Baptist to the point that there were claims being made early on that Jesus had been a disciple of John the Baptist. Well, we don't want that to be thought of at all, so we can't have him being baptized so Matthew says, "Well, we'll have John the Baptist protest it, and then we've got this development in Luke where it's talked about in the past tense. We don't actually see it. It just says after the baptism, and then, and then, and then by the time you get to John, well, they don't even have the baptism at all. Jesus is walking along the side of the bank." There he goes, just a walking down the street. Kind of bit. And, and he says, there comes the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. By the way, that is a direct reference to the Passover Lamb. Mm-hmm. The language is the same, straight out of the Old Testament. Translated in Greek, but...
3: It's almost like the, the issue was probably over, the... the John the Baptist people were assimilated, but the stories were still mm-hmm. still around, you know. And they had they couldn't just leave them out. There were
0: probably John the Baptist people, a few still alive, hanging around who every once in a while whine about it. <laughs> <laughs> he was big too. But, but yeah, um, the problem had been more or less solved. It was no longer necessary but you couldn't get rid of the stories of the baptism. You just just couldn't. It
3: sounds like at the core, there there probably was a a pretty strong relationship that needed to be sorted out. The matter of what
0: you see in Mark's gospel is probably a heck of a lot closer Mm -hmm. to the reality in that Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist. That instituted a major change. John the Baptist ends up recognizing Jesus as being his successor, essentially, as being the Messiah and uh, which he affirms, you know, at the point of his death and that there's sort of, that probably is correct. And, and you see how to deal though with the embarrassment. If this is God, how do you deal with the embarrassment of him needing to be baptized? It's the question that you constantly have. If we are baptized for the remission of sins, why was Jesus baptized if he was sinless in God? Well, John's gospel is the one that's going to have the greatest problem with that question. Well, the best way to handle that problem is not to have him be baptized. Just eliminate it. Essentially, yeah. This is a bit of that theologizing and adjusting that I told you we'd see. And you'll see more of it. But it comes from an anecdote. A piece of the story that is anecdotal and is dialogical and and narrative in nature. It's not one of those long discourses, although there's some mini discourse in it from John the Baptist. It's part of a story that we know. And most people, when they read John, they miss that the baptism isn't here. They miss that the baptism is not here. Their brains automatically remember having read in Mark and Matthew and in Luke, having read there about the dove coming down on Jesus when he comes out, out of the water, they they, they 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 harmonize it. Just like we harmonize the birth narrative and have the wise guys come into the to the to the stable along with the shepherds and the angels there in Bethlehem, and instead of having it in a house a couple of years later. As Matthew says, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's an interesting example of how our brains automatically harmonize. We get some of the elements from the baptismal story from Matthew and Mark, and we insert them. And we don't even know we're doing it.
1: But it talks, you know, what's, what's interesting is it talks about the baptism. John's baptizing people, and it's the same thing, like you said about the baptism of Jesus. But before he, as he's seeing him, he's already talked about him. Basically, mm-hmm. if they know the Lamb of God's story, and they do the Passover, sure. not, things will be slaughtered. Right? Exactly. And oh yeah. The, the first thing he says when he sees Jesus is, "You're gonna be slaughtered." There's right. the Lamb of God.
0: This is the You're guy going who's gonna take away the sin of the world. How does the Lamb do that? He gets killed. Exactly. That's not a, you know. It begins. begins it begins with. With and more than just God. a foreshadowing of his death,
2: exactly.
0: it begins with the proclamation of his death and who he is and why he came. He came to die, but interestingly, he also begins with an understanding that is not again, yet again, is not part of Jewish messianic expectation. The Jews didn't expect the Messiah to die. Messiahs don't die; they they win; they're victorious. <laughs> and. It was, it was what happened to Jesus that resulted in the, 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 the suffering servant imagery from Isaiah being, being drafted into the Messianic expectation so that you get the idea of the Messiah being a suffering servant who then dies and then it gets connected with the Passover ritual and, 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 the, and the offering that is made. And by the time John comes along, that is really well tacked down in terms of the theology. And, and uh, They put it back into John the Baptist's lips. Here comes the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world.
2: Questions? I know how you're reading this, but in here to me, it doesn't say he didn't baptize
0: him. No, it doesn't say, and John did not baptize Jesus. No, it doesn't say that. And so
2: I think it's irrelevant in John's theology and what is important is that the dove identifies
0: Christ. I would say you're actually right that Jesus is identified by John the Baptist and that the dove is that sign, which John the Baptist sees. I'm just pointing out the interesting, one of the things that I tend to do is I like to see what they actually write and why they don't write certain things. And why they, our discussion over trying to solve the embarrassment stems from the reality that he was an embarrassment.
2: Yeah. Well, your, your question, you answered earlier when you said, why did Jesus need to be baptized? Yeah. So John is irrelevant. Yeah, totally
0: beyond so I just the point.
2: identified by John the Baptist. John the
0: Baptist absolutely identifies Jesus as the Lamb of God. He absolutely identifies Jesus as the one that they are to follow, as the Messiah. Uh, the the dove, which is an image that's taken from the baptismal event in Mark, is utilized here to identify Jesus yeah. as being that one who will baptize in the Holy Spirit. Absolutely important. That is what John sees as important. What's
2: the here. chances that the baptism took place at an earlier time because he said I saw? Okay.
0: Um,
2: so maybe this is after the baptism. Well, okay. Uh, it, it, coming in in a whole different place.
0: It's, the baptism is, is left out. That is correct. And there is room for it, I suppose, but he doesn't say it. He doesn't articulate Just as Luke, dealing with the problem, says after the baptism, instead of actually taking us through it. Isn't that interesting? Luke does it a little more close. He, does, he, he, he tells you the baptism happened, but he doesn't actually give you it in the narrative. John has dropped even that. After the baptism, John the Baptist sees the the dove. No, he he drops even that. He just points out that he saw the dove. He just says that he saw the dove.
2: Time-wise, though, it could have happened immediately at that time because if you saw something come down, you'd already talk of it as having happened.
0: There is no question that you can successfully harmonize John with the baptismal events as described in Mark, Matthew, and Luke. There's no question, because quite frankly, that's where John is getting it from. He's getting it from the same source. He may be getting it straight out of Luke, even. That's very possible.
1: We have no problem harmonizing it, but the John the Baptist followers were. Well, I'm a just, big problem.
0: Well, we have no trouble harmonizing it into there. Right. That's what we do because we know the story. I think it, there is a value in recognizing what the author of John has done in leaving it out. I think it's intentional. I think it highlights even more the message, this is that Lamb of God, this is the Messiah, you go follow him. It does, it, it, it emphasizes that. And that was John's intent, that was the author's intent to make it very clear that the Baptist was the one pointing to Jesus and saying, you go follow him. And that quite frankly then translates beautifully, the preachers love this part, that translates beautifully into what we are to do. I've preached a bunch of sermons in the past about when, where, it, where it says, what are you looking for? Jesus asks them, turns them. Jesus' first words in, in, in John are, by the way, what are you looking for I preached a sermon on that once and then they say to him Rabbi, which translates teacher we are, where are you staying that's fascinating I mean think about that, that's really not an answer to the question and then he says to them come and see I've preached sermons on this material here it is rich for that purpose because it's well, I, I think that's how it was intended, actually, by the author, to be utilized in that way, to, to apply it to the them there where they were reading it. That was what was important. What does this tell us?
1: What's the deal about the tenth hour? Why would you add that sentence? Meaning
0: that mean four bad. o'clock in the afternoon?
1: That's getting late. They went and saw where he was staying and spent the day with him. Yeah. It's about
0: four o'clock in the afternoon. A little bit of interesting little piece of, of temporal setting, isn't it? Yeah. This all kinda happens kinda happens kinda late. <laughs> it sounds like it's late in the evening and one of you know, after four o'clock in the afternoon or thereabouts, one of the two who heard it was of course Andrew, and he'd go get Simon Peter. Well maybe it makes sense. Simon Peter would be off the water by now and drying his nets, but that's not actually said. None of that's said fact we don't even know that they're fishermen yet that's not been told us yet and it's not Jesus walking along and them following him it's Andrew going and getting in Peter and having him come that's an interesting difference the next day verse 43 yes
3: I've got a I'm a few more errands before I get home because we're going out of town tomorrow. So I'm going to need to excuse myself.
0: Can you wait for about two minutes?
3: Two minutes? Well, you can I w- I do to anything to, in two minutes. Because I want to give us <laughs> a running
0: start. <laughs> Trust me. I want to give us a running start next time. But I need to explain something first. Next time we will not be meeting. We will not meet oh. next week. Because Karen goes on her walk to Emmaus. And I want to go for that send off uh, on her walk to Emmaus. And so we will not meet next Thursday night. We will meet the following Thursday night and pick it up. But I wanted to give us a running start. So, verse 43. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. That's interesting. I thought he was at Bethany beyond the Jordan, near Galilee, according to yours, not according to yours. Uh, he found Philip and said to him follow me now Philip was from Bethsaida the city of Andrew and Peter Bethsaida the city of Andrew and Peter I thought they were from from Capernaum according to the synoptics they were Um, uh, Philip found Nathanael and said to him we have found him about whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote Jesus son of Joseph from Nazareth wow that's interesting There's the first little reference here, right here, to an earthly ancestry for Jesus. Jesus, son of Joseph from Nazareth. And here's the end. Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? (laughs) All right. That's where we'll pick it up next time. been listening to a Bible study by Dr. Gregory Neal, Senior Pastor of St. Stephen United Methodist Church and Rector of Grace Incarnate Ministries. Copyright 2010 by Dr. Gregory S. Neal. All rights reserved. For more information or to listen to other seminars, Bible studies, or sermons by Dr. Gregory Neal, visit us on the web at www.revneal.org. That's www.revneal.org. You are also invited to visit us in person at St. Stephen United Methodist Church, 2520 Oates Drive, Mesquite, Texas, 75150. This program was produced by Dr. Greg Neal.